0: I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves couldn't give me.
1: Amen. It was interesting coming to this passage and knowing or guessing what you may have heard before. But I thought I would start by recalling my first day at school, which was a long time ago, last century, in fact. And I sat at the back of the classroom with my cousin, Brian. And within half an hour, we'd somehow managed to put our feet in the desk, kick the desk over, and both had been smacked by the teacher, Mrs. Jackson, indelibly printed in my mind. And it wasn't that that was a one-off at school, because as I progressed through school, behavior always seemed somewhat of a challenge, if not for me, at least for those trying to teach me. And... Teachers tried different things at different stages, at different ages. Corporal punishment certainly featured. But part of it was actually to be taken, I think in primary four, and pointed out and said, look at Sandra Dawson. Look at her. She's perfect. She just does everything I want her to do. Why can't you be like her? Now I hadn't started training as a medic, but even then I knew there was something amiss. <laughs> that I wasn't going to be like Sandra Dawson. But I just thought, there's no way I can be like Sandra Dawson. She was just so perfect. And her writing was perfect. And her reading was perfect. And her behavior was perfect. And I think probably the teacher realized that because by the following uh, year, which was then Mrs. McCulloch, she said, why aren't you like Freddie Orr? And I thought, well, he's small with red hair and freckles and his hands smell. But why would I want to be like Freddie Orr And it's because Freddie Orr didn't always get it right, but he did try. And Mrs. McCulloch said to me, you really need to try. And so it went on, and the rest, as they say, is history. But having an example to follow wasn't that easy when I thought, there's no way. There's absolutely no way I can be like that. So as we come to our passage this morning... I do want to look back briefly over I think what you will have thought about two weeks uh two weeks ago and last week perhaps and I want to divide what I say into to three parts handily named part one, part two and then part three. Part one, looking back a little bit, and, and you've heard this, but I want to read just a few verses from the beginning of this chapter, Philippians two, Paul says Be like Jesus, have his attitude. Copy his example. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or verse 7, he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I don't know whether Jane or John Campbell will remember, but we had in the Christian medics many years ago a heated debate at some point on two Bible verses, Matthew 5.48 and Leviticus 19.2. And Matthew 5.48 is the one people are perhaps more familiar with, which is be perfect as I am perfect, or in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. And the debate was around, can we strive, should we strive for perfection here on this earth? Should we strive for perfection knowing we cannot reach it? Or should we settle for something less but really try our best? Should we strive for perfection knowing we cannot reach it here on this earth? Or should we settle for something less and strive for our best? And if we look at Jesus, certainly we will not succeed in following his example perfectly. We won't have the same mindset all the time. But I wonder sometimes if we opt out perhaps a little too easily. After all, we reason God became Jesus, but Jesus is fully God. But we must also remember that Jesus was tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin that Jesus was tired, that Jesus felt let down by those around about him. Jesus wasn't immune from the pressures that beset us. In fact, quite the reverse. And that makes his attitude all the more relevant as a real example for us to follow, a mindset that we want to copy. But perhaps we find it too difficult to imagine that the idea of God humbling himself is difficult to comprehend. And i have been reading recently what that, that might mean. The idea that Jesus reduced himself, made himself less, so that Jesus, fully God, actually said, only the father knows the R. He didn't know that. He had limited himself. He had reduced himself to a person. Sometimes Jesus is perhaps more vulnerable than we would like to imagine. But perhaps because of that, he really should be our example. But then we take a step back, or Paul takes a step back, and you heard the verses, I guess, last week in 12 and 13. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we move on to part two. I don't know how many of you in your jobs have or have had in the past to set objectives. Objectives for the year ahead. And if you have, you may have had to set stretch objectives. You're setting annual objectives. Not an extra that you put on top of the day job, but part and parcel of that day job as you try and look forward and ensure that your commitment to deliver for your employer translates through to delivery. And I guess there are three types of objectives we're asked to set. The first is what you have to do. And really, you have to do that. That's why you turn up to job. That's why you turn up to your job in the first place. The second set of objectives is what you realistically hope and need to do. Just taking it that a little bit further. But then the third set of objectives are often called stretch objectives. These are things you might get done, but only at a stretch. Now, this could be exciting. It holds out that possibility of achieving what you thought wasn't possible. Stretch objectives, by definition, must be difficult to achieve. They may not happen at all. They may not happen fully, but all the effort of the forthcoming year will ensure a degree of ambition and application that exceeds merely ticking boxes for the sake of it. Not meeting those stretch objectives may be unsurprising. They're difficult, but the effort and the dedication in seeking to reach them has a positive effect on everything else that you do. Clearly, the boss thinks stretch objectives are the ones that really show our motivation, our ambition, our application. And it's difficult. But if we're not able to efficiently achieve the day job, the basic objectives, how can we ever hope to reach the stretch objectives? Have you ever thought why we make such a big deal of the first person to run a four minute mile or the first person to cross or to cross, to climb Everest, the first person to swim the channel? Why do we make such a big difference with the person? It's first and it's because it's a stretch objective. The idea before then is something you would aspire to, but it's never going to happen. You don't think anyone will ever achieve it. And then somebody does, and suddenly other people can follow. It's easier to follow than to lead. It's easier to see someone else meet that stretch objective and say, yes, I can do that too. And what Paul does in our passage this morning is effectively set out some stretch objectives, but he also charts a way for us to say, I can do that too. It's not beyond me. It really is within grasp. But all the the while, he's saying, you must do the day job. You can't just do this as an extra. It's got to be embedded fully in what you're doing. And of course, Paul's stretch objective is follow Jesus. Have the mindset of Jesus. But Paul, as we know, is the consummate debater. He's the consummate persuader. He doesn't waste words, and he's pretty good at second-guessing what people are thinking. Think of his time in Athens. So he continues to stay with this theme of objectives as he speaks more pastorally. And he returns to the theme about role models, and he starts with Timothy. So have the mindset of Jesus. Oh, that's too hard for me. And he says, look at Timothy. Timothy. He says in verse 20 Timothy is the one off there's nobody like him nobody else has that purity of motive verse 21 everyone looks out for their own interests not those of Jesus Christ everyone looks out for their own interests not those of Jesus Christ except Timothy now, at this point, you might say Paul's slightly over his argument, because, of course, he goes on shortly to talk about what a great guy Epaphroditus is. So, is Timothy really the only person who looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ and not for their own? Or does it mean that Timothy is first? Timothy has reached that stretch objective. Timothy has shown it's possible Timothy's done the four minute mile. Timothy's climbed Everest. Timothy's swam the channel. Timothy has shown, I can follow the example of Christ and I can always put his interests ahead of my own. Others may follow, but Timothy is there first. And how do we know that? Well, Paul says, he's proved himself. He's worked as part of a team. He served. He had a clear purpose. He had a clear vision. It was not for his own interests but for the interests of Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting looking at this because, of course, we know about Timothy from elsewhere in Scripture. Paul says all of this, and he doesn't feel he has to make the case to persuade people of Timothy's Timothy's worth. He knew his audience would accept what he was saying. In practice, how, how could this be? How could they know Timothy, and how could they know Timothy's focus was so clearly to promote the interests of Jesus Christ? And the answer must be because of Timothy's reputation. People knew. They saw the example. They saw the role model. And just popping back to verses 12 through 18 again, what matters? It's God's word in verse 16. It's God's purpose in verse 13, his presence in verse 13, his work in us and our work for him. Verse 12 and 13 So Paul holds Timothy up, not solely as an example of piety and doctrinal soundness, somebody who passes the test of orthodoxy, but as someone for whom there is proof of the soundness of his motivation. What he does and why he does it and he has worked hard is for the interests of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for himself. Paul brings Timothy into frame and reminds us That the objective, that stretch objective, have the mindset of Christ, is achievable. It is reachable. It is something we should strive for because we see Timothy, who has made so much progress toward it. And Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to you to be a living witness and example. And we'll perhaps return to verse 24 uh, at the end. So we come to part three. I don't think Paul has just casually mentioned Timothy at this point, as I've said. I think he said, follow Jesus, have the mindset of Jesus. Is that too much for you? Look at Timothy. He's a one-off. There's nobody like him. Only Timothy puts Jesus Christ and his interests ahead of everything else. So Paul is quite deliberately using this apparently pastoral section to support his earlier exhortation. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. Even if you're finding it difficult to get your head around what that means, Paul is saying, look at Timothy. You'll see some of what you need to do and be in that passage. Timothy, Paul says, is a living Breathing example of what it means to be focused on others and not yourself in service, active at work, not just talking the talk. And just as Timothy is mentioned, and it's not an accident, I think the mention of Epaphroditus is no coincidence either. So Paul has argued thus follow Jesus, he reduced himself. He humbled himself to become truly human. His Jesus example of selfless service, humility, putting others before himself, should be what motivates us, not just words, but motivates us to action. And then Paul develops this idea further. And he says, look, others have followed this example. Take Timothy, for example, selfless service. He's a one off, true to the word of God, fully engaged, part of the team, humbling himself and serving. He's not just a hanger on. But where Timothy seems to have it all together, Epaphroditus seems to have had to wade through a whole lot of trouble. He's been seriously ill. He worries about the church in Philippi, he risked his life for the gospel. He did provide help. And perhaps the key to Paul's overarching argument here is in verse 29, where he says, Honor people like him. Honor people like him. Jesus is unique. Perhaps that's just too big a stretch objective for us to comprehend. But Timothy is a one-off. He's kind of got there. And we know that if Timothy got that far, we can really seek to attain that same achievement. But Epaphroditus honour people like him. Epaphroditus is one of some, or perhaps one of many. Jesus, unique. Timothy, one off. Epaphroditus, part of a group. And Paul shows in Epaphroditus. Another example of what following Jesus, of what having the mindset of Jesus actually means. It still absolutely involves fidelity to the word of God. It absolutely links through to practical action. And not putting the interests of yourself ahead of the interests of Jesus means that there's a humility that comes with that. Think how often Jesus forgave those who let him down. And think how reluctant we can be individually as fellowships to forgive those who we feel have slighted us. If Jesus can forgive, why can't we? If Jesus can serve, why can't we? If Jesus can welcome back those who have gone astray and come back, why can't we? What we're asked to do is not overnight become Jesus. We are asked to be on a journey towards him, to develop that mindset, to have that mindset, that attitude, and to keep having it and to keep reinforcing it. And Paul is saying, look at Jesus. He's unique. Look at Timothy. He's the one off. But are you beginning to think, actually, this is what I should be aspiring to be? And it's not about the words we use. And it's not about the things we believe. It is about that, but it's about much more than that. It's about who we are. It's about where we're centered. It's about where our focus is. And if we can't forgive, if we can't give of ourselves, if we can't put Jesus Christ first, if we can't get away from our human structures and begin to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? Then actually we failed We've not met the stretch objectives. We haven't even met the demanding objectives. We're not even doing the day jobs as followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder in verse 30, right at the end, if there's a slight barb in what Paul is saying. It's interesting when he talks about Timothy, he says, he's the only one, nobody else has the interests of Jesus Christ, only Timothy, and then immediately goes on to Epaphroditus, who clearly has similar the interests of Jesus Christ at heart. So I wonder if it's a slight barb. Paul says to Timothy, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And at face value, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, that sounds fine, but I almost wonder if Paul's implying would not give me We must never assume in a church fellowship, a church family, as we've heard from Wendy, we must never assume that others do, and we cannot. Or we sit back and support, or we talk the talk, or even that we give the resources to make it all possible. The instruction is, everybody do. Everybody do. And I think it's interesting to take this passage and think what that means for us in a family relationship with those in church leadership, for example, those who are working with children and young people, those who are serving in mission at home and abroad. It should never be a case of them and us. It should be a case of all of us. Our interests focus on Jesus Christ, not on ourselves. Thursday evening, there's a a student Bible study in St. Andrews, and it's... uh, led by a student, but they have an old person sitting there. So I was sitting in a group with a group of students on Thursday, and we were talking about John 15 and John 16, and that text remain in him. And exploring, well, what does that mean, remain in him? And in many ways, it's it's a kind of parallel. It's complementary to what we're thinking about today, having that mindset learning from Timothy, learning from Epaphroditus, but setting that stretch objective to be like Jesus. Remain in him. And as so often is the case with students, it's about organizing time, or more often than not, not organizing time. It's coping with work deadlines, or more often than not, not coping with work deadlines. It's about priorities. And then you get spiritual and you think, oh yes, and having time, to serve God, time to read and pray. I need to get more time to read my Bible. And if people need help, I need to be available sometime. But I must always remember time for me. And it was interesting talking about, well, where does remain in me, remaining in God, fit in that scheme? And we work towards this notion that remaining in God is foundational. Where a branch or a vine branch connected to the vine. It's not an extra. The Christian service, the me time, isn't something we stick on the side. Our entire lives must be for the interests of Jesus Christ. And as I read these verses in Philippines, I'm challenged. Yes, to be like Jesus Christ is a huge ask to have the same mindset. And actually, maybe it's just too much to think it's possible. And then we draw a line and say, well, that would be nice. And one day in glory, that's the way it'll be. But actually the instruction isn't to wait. It's strive for the stretch objective right now. Look at Jesus. Have that mindset. Look at Timothy. He's one off. Look at Epaphroditus. He's one of some. And there's an example to follow. Yes, it's a huge ask. But we have something to emulate. Timothy, Epaphroditus, had a clear focus in Jesus, not holding back because they needed me time, but wholeheartedly giving themselves to the gospel and to others. Epaphroditus had more than a share of woes, and yet he still gave in service, full of concern, never pulling back. And just as Paul said, recognize Epaphroditus and those like him, we should also look for these characteristics in one another and encourage them when we see them in one another, putting the interests of Jesus Christ first, not our own efforts to sort out our own busy lives. Christian disciples shouldn't be a question of fitting in work, leisure, holidays, me time, service, prayer, Bible study, and then deciding how much more time can I give to God? It's about remaining in him, having the attitude, having our interest totally focused on Jesus Christ. Giving to God is the day job. Being sacrificed to God is the day job. Think of Romans 12, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, totally transforming on everything we are and everything we do. As a postscript, and it's perhaps something to think about, we know that all Scripture is inspired. And sometimes we take it out of context, which isn't helpful. An example of that might be in Psalm 75. It talks about the firm pillars holding the earth. And that was the text that was used to criticize Galileo when he said it doesn't work like that. Because you know what? The earth spins round and round. And we can look at that now and say, of course, of course. But I thought it was interesting then to pick up why we got verse 24 in our text Paul says in verse 24, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. His motives were clear, but his confidence may have been misplaced. Now, people have said, ah, if you don't get what you think is going to happen, it's because your faith isn't great enough. That applies to the works you're doing, the evangelistic outreach you've planned, the witness to your neighbor, your family, praying for somebody's health. It's just because your faith isn't enough. I don't think Paul had a problem of faith, but he didn't know exactly what God was going to do and how God was going to do it. But despite that, his interests were totally focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even Paul was seeing through a glass darkly. He didn't know God's plans for him in full, but it didn't stop him back. It didn't hold him back. From actually going out there to work for the glory of the gospel, for God's plan to be fulfilled and for him to be part of that. And I guess sometimes we can be tempted to say, well, I understand, yeah, Jesus, his mindset, that's what I'm striving for. I can see with Timothy and Epaphroditus that actually there is a way that I can make a difference, that I can actually be moving towards that likeness to Christ and I will be working for him. I will be doing things. I will be showing forgiveness in the church fellowship. I will be showing compassion and concern for those around me. Maybe that's what we need to do because perhaps sometimes what we say, well, I'm not sure where God's taking me. I just want to wait and see. And we're tempted to wait until we've planned everything and then we'll get ready to go. Whereas in fact, God's saying, I want you to be completely focused on me. And because I know, says God, where this is going, act, act. Don't just talk, act. Come, act, come and give glory to the gospel. We may wish naturally enough to have assurance of what comes next before following his example. We don't know where it will take us. It took Epaphroditus to some pretty dark places. But actually, we are to act we're to move, where to respond, where to positively copy the mindset of Jesus. If we want it all sorted first, I suspect we may well be waiting quite some time. And as a result, we will fail to encourage one another. As we recognize Christ in one another, we'll be failing to encourage one another toward that stretch objective to which we have been commissioned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus and we thank you that it's not just so far off that we can't even imagine how to get there because you promised that your Holy Spirit, your advocate is with us and that if we remain in you and you remain in us, we can make such a difference. We can be living lights. We can approach that mindset, that attitude of Christ Jesus and affect those around about us we pray that as a fellowship, as part of your family, we would be a loving family, not focused on our own rules, our own foibles, our own grievances, but rather focused on you, focused on your greatness, focused on your forgiveness, focused on your redeeming power. And Lord, we pray that as we move towards you, we will become more effective as salt and light in this generation. And we ask it through Christ. Amen.